The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org. Yeah. 
Thank you. 
morning have you guys ever been overwhelmed see that's not a really great question when was the last time that you guys were overwhelmed so this past week has been stressful at times not only has it been finals week but my dad brother and I played for a Christmas special this last Friday night here in Portales that I've had to work on uh, for the past week. I also got my SAT results in Friday night as well, so I've had quite a bit on my mind lately. I stayed home from school this last Wednesday to prepare and have time to take the algebra exam review before I took the actual final. I've actually been on top of this class and surprisingly have had a pretty good grade. But when you have an 80-plus question exam review with 20 questions on the actual exam and two to three of the problems weren't even gone over in the review, things start to go downhill pretty fast. When I realized this, it was also about the time where I started frantically looking around the room, trying to find the equation for a rocket's altitude level in terms of X seconds on the pictures hanging on our dining room walls. Needless to say, I left a couple questions blank on the test. I felt like a failure. I thought that I worked so hard for the grade that I had this year just for it to be ruined on the last week of it. It didn't help that right after I finished the test, my grandma texted the family group chat and said, Caden, did you know you have communion meditation this weekend? I mean, it really does help to know, and she doesn't know how helpful she is because I do not know every single week that I have it until she texts me. (laughs) But sometimes we can feel overwhelmed, and we forget to take a look at the bigger picture. That final exam grade was worth just as much as a regular quiz, so even if I got a zero on it, I'd still have an 80 in the class. Sometimes life is just uncomfortable, but we need to step back and look at the bigger picture. What are you living your life for? Are you looking to the Lord for guidance? Because there's really no better kind. Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Sometimes we won't know what to do. But sometimes we will have people in our lives who help us in our struggles. Don't try to discredit God's work through these people. If you can't see God working through somebody else in your life, maybe you should open your eyes a little bit wider. It doesn't matter how minimal your struggles are. It takes over a million grains of sand to fit inside an hourglass to make it work. But one little pebble can destroy that thing. It doesn't take a sacrifice from you to talk to God either. It's actually pretty easy. You just sort of talk. He's listening. The path may not be pretty all of the time. It's actually impossible to walk it without the only one who can actually help us. But the end location is, in a literal sense, perfect. Let's pray. Dear Lord, although life can be uncomfortable at times, everyone in this room knows that. You are still there, working in our lives You shine your light through other people in our lives, maybe. Maybe it's through the struggles that we've been through. Maybe it's through something that you show us 
in our daily walks with you, Lord, that we know that we do not have to be uncomfortable by ourselves. There's a million other people out there just like us. In your name I pray. Amen. Indeed is a website that is helps get jobs and different things. And they had uh, one of the best interview questions is, what have you learned recently? In another website, they sent that question out to a lot of different age groups of people. What have you learned? Not what did you know? What have you learned recently? And here are some of the different responses from different age groups. A seven-year-old said, I've learned that our dog doesn't want to eat my broccoli either. A 13-year-old said, I've learned when I finally get my room the way I like it, mom makes me clean it again. 29-year-old said, I've learned that wherever I go, the world's worst drivers have followed me there. They're not wrong. 49-year-old said, I've learned that singing Amazing Grace can lift my spirits for hours. Anybody? 61-year-old said, I've learned if you want to do something really positive for your children, work to improve your marriage. A 72-year-old said, when I, I've learned that when I decide something with kindness, it's usually the right decision. An 82-year-old said, I've learned that even when I have pains, I don't have to be one. <laughs> and a 92-year-old said, I've learned that I still have a lot to learn. Sometimes the person who appears wise is really foolish. And sometimes the person who seems foolish possesses greater wisdom. Welcome to an upside down Christmas. We're challenging you and Matthew is challenging us to look at Christmas from a different angle. Uh, how everything is turned upside down. We're going to be in chapter 2 of Matthew if you want to join us there, if you're joining online or on the radio. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew tells us that everything gets turned upside down, including what we think about wisdom. In chapter 2 it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now we know this story. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse a far field and fountain, moor and mount. We don't know what a moor is. None of us. We're out here in the flats. We don't know what that is. But we know this story from this song and others, but there's a lot of uh, misknown things. Fun fact, it never says there were three wise men, okay? It says there were these three gifts, but it doesn't even say that's all of the gifts. So a lot of times it is implied that there's three. And I hate to break your nativity bubble, but they probably didn't show up on Christmas night. It probably was, it could have been up to two years later. They says, it says they visited Mary in a house, not a stable. And there's this whole interchange with Herod. We're not going to get into that, but you can read the rest of that in chapter two, where Herod has uh, anybody under two years old killed. So there's a lot of the historians that say, well, it could have been in there that maybe these wise men came uh, within the next couple of years. And very few versions say Orient. Most of them say Eastern lands. And what that probably means is the Persian Empire, what we would call now modern day Iran and Afghanistan. But the Persian Empire was one that had been, it goes all the way back to the line of Darius, which was the king when Daniel was in the lion's den. So all of this really ties together even back then. And it probably wasn't China. It was probably just Uh, Iran and Afghanistan, but it still was a long ways away. And it never really says they were kings. They were probably advisors to kings. They were leaders that had power. And in some versions, they're called magi, right? And that's one letter away from one of the things they dealt with, magic, okay? They dealt with magic and sorcery and astrology. All of those things, the Old Testament 
warns Jewish people to stay away from. All right? It's not something we're supposed to be dabbling in. It's not supposed to, something we're supposed to be dealing with. Which brings me to an interesting question. Why is this story even here? Why, why does this thing exist? If everything we know about it is wrong, why is it even here? But let's take it a little bit further and let's be real. The Christmas story itself is kind of foolish. Now, I'm not talking Santa and elves and flying reindeer. And I'm not even talking about how some people try believe that they can buy their way into their happiness or their kids' happiness. Or if, hey, I haven't spent much time with my kids this year, so let's buy them a bunch of cool stuff so maybe they'll like me again. I'm not talking about those kinds of foolishness. I'm talking about the actual story. The whole idea is kind of crazy. A baby born to a virgin? It doesn't even make sense. Uh, A star that shines on a house? A bunch of shepherds in a field serenaded by angels? The whole concept of creator God, the, the God that spoke everything into existence, becoming a baby? All of it is kind of absurd. And I think it was absurd purposely. I think it was meant to be that way. It was meant to prove man foolish. Because how in a man's eyes should a king come into town? How many of you have seen Aladdin? Make way for Prince Ali. I mean, there's a big band. There's elephants. There's trumpets. It's a parade. It's pomp. It's circumstance. It's a, it's a big production. It's certainly not a barn. Christmas shows a kind of foolishness, if you would, that God, I think, has intentionally employed to expose the emptiness of what we think is smart and what we think is wisdom. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. In other words, one of the biggest barriers between us and God is man's own view of self. Man's over overestimation of our own wisdom. We're pretty smart. We've figured things out. We have the computers. We have all this stuff. Our own pride keeps us from seeing the Messiah we need. Did you hear that in the, in the sermon open there? That he is the Messiah we need. It may not be the one we think we expected, but too many times we think we're smart. We think we know how things will work out. Paul goes on to say in verse 25 of that 1 Corinthians 1, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And do we understand that human wisdom is dated? Any of you who are under 30 years old probably don't know what these books look like, but some of you do, right? How many of you had encyclopedias in your house? Okay. And still do. Uh, how many of you bought them the monthly version? You know, it came like one every other month or everything. You got the letter D this month, and then next month you got M. That's all you could learn about was M. Okay, that's it. All right. And, and so it came in those, those ways. Up until 2010, Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica had produced for 244 years printed encyclopedias. Their last episode, the last version came out in 2010. It was 34 volumes. It was 32,640 pages and it cost $1,500. Or you can use this thing called Google that's free. (laughs) And most people were using that. Most people were doing that. So they went away from the printed ones because most of us know that the printed ones were almost obsolete the second they hit. Because there were things that happened that we learned later on were proved to be incorrect. Do you realize we teach things now in school and teach things now in life that just a few generations ago were thought to be brilliant and we mock them now. In 1895, there was a chemical researcher named C. 
Adler Wright in London, in his lab, he developed a thing called diamorphine. At that time, the biggest painkiller was morphine. It would work, but we all know it's highly addictive, could do a lot of damage. He came up with this synthetic. It was five times more effective. It was said to be not addictive. It was said to be all these great things. So Bear Aspirin bought it and started putting it with their aspirin. And we're getting rave results until somebody discovered that diamorphine is heroin. <laughs> well, it killed your, your pain and everything else. And it was super highly addictive. Does anybody remember when Coca-Cola started with real cocaine? No wonder grandma and grandpa were so happy. I would be too if I was lit up all that. How about this? Remember when asbestos was a smart thing? I mean, we, everybody did put it everywhere. And now we're like, uh, don't even say that word. All right. We, we may have to clean that stuff up. You see, a lot of the things that were printed were later found out to be not so true. Columbus didn't really discover America. He probably discovered Jamaica or Dominican Republic, Haiti. He probably discovered one of those. Einstein didn't really fail math. George Washington didn't really have wooden teeth. And that gum that you chewed does not stay in your intestines for seven years, like everybody was always told. Sometimes things we know right now may not be so true in 30 years. Some things that we absolutely know because human wisdom is dated. It has, a, it has an expiration date. That verse that Wes read a few minutes ago, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. You see, Christmas is inviting us to consider a different kind of wisdom, uh, an an entirely different wisdom. These magi, that's what they represent is worldly wisdom. They were very smart. They had all the degrees. They had all the respect. They were foreign dignitaries. They had power in their world. Do we realize that? In their world, they were highly respected. But these are, to begin with, by definition, Gentiles. So they're not going to be really well received by the Jewish people. And they were probably from this Persian empire, which would have been one of the empires that conquered Israel. So not going to be really well liked. And as we said, they deal with magic and sorcery and astrology. The Old Old Testament warns against this and tells us to shun that. But these guys, they show up and they ask this question. Hey, where's this king? We want to see this king. Where is he at? Follow with me in in Matthew chapter 2. Jump down to verse 9. Now, if you follow in there, there's that whole bit about Herod. We're going to skip that. You need to read that on your own. But look in verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are powerful men, but their very first response is worship. A baby. Bow down in worship of a baby. And then they start opening their treasure gifts. Look at what are... The ones, as we said, it could have been a lot more, but we see these three specifically gold. Gold is a gift for a king. That's how you honor a king is with gold. Frankincense, some of yours might just say incense, but incense was meant and it represented deity. If you remember when we had the tabernacle earlier this year, the incense that we lit and it would trail up like that, it is the prayers offered up. Incense represents deity, represents something bigger than us. And then the last one, myrrh. Myrrh is an embalming perfume. It's given to a family that is dealing or going to deal with death. These wise men gave them these gifts. And these men, they left powerful positions. They traveled, some estimate, two or 3,000 miles. They were gone a long time at great expense and great time. 
to come to a nation that despises them to worship a baby? So were they wise or were they foolish? See, it's all a matter of perspective. I got a quote up here from a guy named Robert Weber. He was the founder of the International Institute for Worship Studies in Jacksonville, Florida. Sadly, he died a few years ago. Wrote some really great books about the merging of old worship and new worship. It was really brilliant. But I love this concept that he says here. Worship is a meeting between God and his people when the worshiper is brought into personal contact with the one who gives meaning and purpose to life. From this encounter, the worshiper receives strength and courage to live with hope in a fallen world. Worship is an encounter, and they worship. But do we get that they, excuse me, probably didn't understand everything? Because they're not from a Jewish background. They probably didn't even agree. There's a great uh, possibility these were... Ishmaelites, which would have been what we call Muslim. So they're not going to agree with anything. They, but they worshiped, even though they didn't agree or understand. You see, true wisdom is going to allow space for things that we just don't understand. We, we need that. Now, there are accounts of this star, right? The, fo- the star that they follow that... There are accounts, well, there's a lot of people say, well, it's probably a comet or it's probably a planet or an alignment of planets. Uh, just a couple of years ago, we had a thing called the Bethlehem Star and we talked about it. But let's be realistic. No normal star can stop over a house. It can't direct its glow onto one living room. That, that is kind of absurd. What I think Matthew is doing here is I think he is presenting this star as a supernatural occurrence, not a natural occurrence, a miracle, as it were, a thing that was outside of the ordinary. But you see, worldly wisdom comes in here and says, hey, 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 we don't do miracle. We don't do supernatural, okay? That's for that channel that you watch all those Roswell movies on. We don't do that. We need an explanation, right? We need natural causes, not supernatural. Now, hear me, that may be your worldview and you're coming in here and I promise I'm not slamming you. I'm not upset at you at all. That may be your worldview that you need something concrete. But my worldview is is growing and it allows rooms. I'm trying to allow room for the miraculous, for the supernatural, for the things I can't understand or explain because of faith. Faith becomes that gap between logic and answers and things I don't understand where I have to step back and say, okay, that doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to trust God. Because faith is listening and grabbing a hold of the things that he has said and done. It is hanging on with dear life. But our world says that is madness. We need, <coughs> we need proof. We need explanations. Now, we've talked many times that we need, uh, it takes a lot of faith to believe in the creation story, right? It takes a lot of faith to believe it all happened in six days with a day of rest. It takes a lot of faith to believe that. You know what else takes a lot of faith? It takes a lot of faith to believe the other side. It takes a lot of faith to believe that everything came from nothing. That order came from non-order. That cause happened without a cause. You see, it takes a lot of faith to see something that doesn't make sense. Now, listen, I'm not here to do a sermon on apologetics for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm not very good at it and I get confused a lot. So here are some resources. If you're battling this in your head, I don't understand. I need something to hang on. Get a book called, and write this down. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Okay, it's a classic written in the 70s by Josh McDowell. Just came out three or four years ago, redone, uh, updated by his son with new data. And it, it is absolutely a foundational book. Just gives you some great insights 
on how to understand some of those things. Here's another one. Uh, the Ark Encounter out in the Kentucky area. If you haven't ever been, I urge you to go. If you haven't, go online and, and see about the Ark Encounter and watch what it does. It's run by a group called uh, Answers in Genesis. And they have a lot of resources online that will help you understand and see some of the things about dating the earth and how it all happened. And another one that Scott Reeves turned me on to, uh, there's a, a place called The Bible Project that has great podcasts every week. They have a lot of teaching on there. But specifically this week, they had a podcast called Chaos and the Cosmos, where their special guest was a girl named Tracy Caldwell Dyson. She's a NASA astronaut. She'd been on the space station two different times. And it's about an hour-long podcast, but it's brilliant. I mean, it absolutely looks at how... Uh, how, how they viewed it from up there, and it's, it's a game changer. And I highly encourage you to use one of those. If these are things you're battling, if you're questioning things, but it, all of those point and remind me that in 2020, there was a survey done by the, the uh, American Association for the Advancement of Science, AAAS, and they said that over 2 million scientists in the United States identify as evangelical. And that makes me think that perhaps their study of science is helping to prove their faith or helping to improve their faith. So it's not all dark and gloomy out there. But where this is hard for you and me is these wise men had space in their faith walk to grow. And I'm afraid sometimes us Christians, we don't. I'm afraid sometimes we're a little too close-minded and we aren't willing to grow in our thinking. I had an encounter one time with an elder in a church, not this one, not in this town, but said, well, I don't need to read the Bible. I read it when I was a teenager. It hadn't changed, has it? My wife will read it. If she sees anything changes, she'll let me know. Whew, that scared me, okay? Because sometimes we have that view. Well, it's old, it doesn't matter. Friends, Christmas presents us with the story that God is near, God is real, and he does amazing things. But what if he doesn't work the way you think he ought to work? Well, I think the thing that is really, I've just been stuck on all week is looking at these wise men. And do we get how weird this story is? God used a star and astrology to speak to people that were astrologers to point them to Jesus. He used something that we're not supposed to use to point people. Do we get how bizarre that is? That that God used that and and these people were willing to listen to it. Can God speak or move in ways that we don't understand or agree. You see, wise people recognize the movement of God in this world. As far as I can tell, I don't see anybody else that, that recognizes these stars, or this star. I don't see anybody else reference it. Mary doesn't reference it. Peter didn't come along later on in his life. Oh, yeah, I remember that night where I saw that star. We don't get any other reference but these guys. I got a hunch that somebody else saw it, but they're the only ones that we know. They saw it, and God used something that is outside of our faith to speak to them about faith. Can God still do that today? I believe he can. And if we can't answer that in the firm, the affirmative, I'm afraid we're too closed-minded. Can God use someone that has had an abortion? Can God speak through someone that has questioned their sexuality? Can God use someone that battles alcoholism? Can God speak through someone that is lonely and scared and overwhelmed? Can God use and speak through somebody that votes for the other party? It just got ugly right there, didn't it? But you see, real wisdom... Real godly wisdom is allowing space in our thinking for things we don't understand. 
I'm not saying everything is okay and everything, oh, go do whatever you want. No, that's not what I said. I'm saying, will you allow space for God to move differently? Because I think we need to. And real godly wisdom will recognize real sovereignty. Can you imagine what these wise men, uh, what did they tell their bosses back home? Hey, uh, boss, uh, we're going to go see a real king. Uh, We're going to be gone a couple of years, and we're going to take him a bunch of your riches. You cool with that? How did that purchase order get through? You know, I mean, uh, that seems like a weird story right there. How did it happen? But you see, their foolishness, in world's eyes, make them really wise men. This may be the harder challenge for you and me. Believing God exists is easier than believing God is in charge. See, a lot of people will look at the Christmas story and they'll say, oh, yay, that's nice. We got cute little things. We decorate up. And then come January 1, we put it all in a box and we shove it back up in the attic and we don't have to worry about it again. Because there's no way Jesus is really controlling this world. If Jesus was controlling, if, if God was in charge, why are there still school shootings? Why does grandma get cancer? Why does Alzheimer's take people too early? Why is war going on and innocent bystanders are being hurt? You see... If we learn anything, that's how we started this thing. If you have, what have you learned lately? If we learn anything, we need to know that Christmas turns our views upside down. Our views of what worldly wisdom is. What God is doing through Jesus, through this baby, he is challenging Satan's illegitimate claim to this world. There's a lot of people that think, oh, God doesn't exist because it's just out of control. There's just trauma everywhere. I get it. But what that is telling me, what this story is telling me is that worldly wisdom says everything's going bad. Godly wisdom says he is in control. There will be a reckoning. And these things will go away. It's sad that we know so many bad events by a town name. Or we know so many town names by bad events. Columbine. Sandy Hook. Uvalde. Just a month or two ago, Lewiston, Maine affected our family. We have family there that were involved in that situation. And Ferguson. Up until 2014, you couldn't have put a gun to my head and told me, point out Ferguson, Missouri. I couldn't have showed you where it was. I didn't know anything about it. But in 2014, in August of 2014, a very horrible situation happened and we know it has happened in other places and it's sad black man white police officers shooting rioting everything happened i'm not here to talk about all of that i'm just it was a very traumatic time and a very difficult time in our country there was a lot of racial and unrest there still is and the week after that there was an essay that hit the you know, and I, I found it, and you can go back and, and find it too. It was a, a guy named Ben Watson, who at that time was a tight end for the New Orleans Saints and wasn't huge, well-known in the football world, but he was an NFL player. He was of African-American descent, and he was the son of a Baptist preacher. And he was really frustrated. He was really upset, and he wrote this, and he said he sat down. He didn't even know why, but he sat down to write something And it kind of went viral, shared over two million times. His name is Ben Watson, and and I encourage you to go get this thing because it's it's a powerful 650-word essay. He wrote about each of the paragraphs was, I'm angry, I'm fearful, I'm frustrated, I'm embarrassed. But the last two paragraphs I want to share with you. He says, but I'm encouraged. Because ultimately, the problem is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we're racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. In this last paragraph. 
Because I'm, but I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son, Jesus. And with it, a transformed heart and mind. One that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for the Michael Brown tragedy is not education or exposure. It's the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. Advent talks about hope. And, and many of you came struggling in here overwhelmed and overdone and overtaxed and, and over it all. And our God gives hope. Usually around this season, we see cute little signs that say, Wise men still seek him. Maybe you have one of these. Maybe this was your Christmas card. I don't know. It's a great little saying. I think it's beautiful. I think it's theologically very sound. Because wise people will continue to try to find Jesus. And Christmas turns it all upside down. Our world says you want to get hope, then you've got to get richer. You want to get hope, then you got to get more powerful. You got to get in, in a bunch of degrees and a bunch of things behind your name and a bunch of positions and a bunch of. But God says hope comes from a baby. It turns everything upside down. Wise people will see this and they won't get fooled again. You see, the wisdom of man is foolish. You need to hear this. You are not smart enough to save yourself. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how many great things you've done in your life. You are not smart enough to fix yourself. That's worldly wisdom. Jesus is the only hope that matters. And I hope that's something that you can say you've learned today. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the gift of hope. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the gift of this season. And Father God, may we walk in your hope. May our hope not be in our finances or in our power or in our smartness, but in you. And Father, may we show that hope to somebody this week. As we get ready for Christmas and presents and family and laughter, some are hurting and needing hope. I pray that they see hope comes from you. And may we show that to them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.